The Holy Gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Now, on that same day, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them said, his name was Cleopas, and he answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Then, they, then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, And they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had made known to them, was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Every year about this time... Uh, there's a gathering in South Dakota that's called the Niobrara Convocation. And it's a gathering of Lakota people from all over the country, most, of course, coming from the upper Midwest. And they gather at one of the uh, Indian reservations in one of the local communities. And there they celebrate for three days their common life in Christ. In the old days, there were so many people that gathered. It was such a huge gathering. Nowadays, the numbers are less. And somewhat discouraging, I think, for those who have been to many Niobraras. 
But one I recall in particular, uh, we had the presiding bishop with us. And it was at the Cheyenne River Reservation. It was a wonderful gathering. We had three days, two days of it, uh, wonderful sharing of ministry and opening of scripture and sharing with one another. And then the great Eucharist that occurred on Sunday morning. And following that is always a wonderful feast. Well, that particular Niobrara, after we had our Eucharist, the presiding bishop left. And all of the talk at the meal following was that he didn't eat with us. He had been there for all of those days, but he didn't eat with us. And I I remember, too, that uh, some new clergy who would come to the diocese uh, would sometimes go to a Native American uh, funeral and would go through the service and then go to the graveside and then after that go on home. And we had to remind them that it's not over until everyone's eaten together. Somehow it seems that eating together makes a huge difference in our being able to open ourselves to one another to be able to share ourselves in a way that's much deeper than other kinds of gatherings. And we see this, I think, in this particular gospel story. This gospel is one of my favorites and probably one of your favorites as well. Last week, our own Spencer Wilking uh, led a a forum where we explored the uh, great diversity of, of this text and the wonderful richness of it for us as a church. And I can't go into all of those uh, side tracks and trails. They are so rich. But what I want to focus on this morning is what it shows us about the presence of Christ with us now. And also what it shows us about our worship, how it informs us of the way that we conduct our worship. You'll recall that this is another account of the Sunday of the Resurrection. And these disciples are on their way to Emmaus. It's probably a bit more than a two-hour walk from Jerusalem. And while they're walking, they encounter Jesus, but they don't recognize him. And they talk about all the things that had happened in Jerusalem the week before, and then finally the crucifixion. And they even tell him about the reports of his resurrection. They, They say that the women went and the tomb was empty, and there were angels there. But when the disciples, the other disciples went to the tomb, they didn't see him. So they're walking away from Jerusalem, sad, believing that Jesus is dead, that it's all over. There's no indication in this that they expected Jesus to rise from the dead. They were looking for a different kind of a Messiah. And we hear that in their words. They were looking for someone who would redeem Israel. And in fact, this Messiah would redeem all of the world, all of humankind. As they were walking, Jesus started to talk with them about the scriptures. He, he says, you fools. And perhaps out of their sadness, seeing their sadness, he thinks if only you could understand more fully, you wouldn't be sad. And he goes through the scriptures with them, talking about all of the prophecies that related to the coming of a Messiah. And a Messiah that's quite different from the Messiah that they were expecting. Finally, they get to the place where they're going to spend the evening. And Jesus appears to be going on. But they don't want him to leave. So they stop him and they say, won't you join us? Join us for a meal. Offering the most basic of Middle Eastern hospitality. And he does. But the strange thing is that 
He is not a guest at that meal. He is the host at the meal. He is the one who takes the bread and blesses it and breaks it and distributes it to the others. They see in this something that reminds them of Jesus. And whatever it was, it was so powerful that in that moment they knew for certain this was Jesus, risen from the dead. It could have been that they had been with him on the hillside when he fed the multitude. It could be that they were somewhere in that upper room when uh, Jesus shared that last meal with all of them. But whatever it was, it was so unique and so unique, especially to Jesus, that they knew in that moment that it was Jesus. I think that it's important for us to see that in the risen Christ, all are welcome at that meal. Sinners and saints alike come to the table. Gentiles and Jews are all welcome. Men and women, no distinction, all are welcome at his table. I think the importance of this story is twofold. At least that's what I want to focus on today. One is to see the presence of Christ in our midst and how we see that. And the other is to see how we worship in the church and why it is we worship the way we do. From the very beginning of the church, Christian worship has focused on the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ in the proclamation of the gospel as it's read as it's explicated in sermons, as it's reflected upon in the community, and also the presence of Christ in the sacrament, the Eucharist. And so we have the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the table. Now, we Western Christians have lost that tradition now and then, and uh, even Roman Catholics, you might be surprised to learn, lost it for a while as well. During the Middle Ages, even though there were many masses offered, the people often only received one time a year. So there was a growing separation of the people away from this very important realization of the presence of Christ in the sacrament. I think one of the reasons that I left the Methodist Church, as I look back on it over the years, was that the emphasis in that church and many other Protestant churches is on the liturgy of the word without the liturgy of the table. And somehow that balance just didn't work for me. But we, thank God, have that present in our worship Sunday after Sunday. Now, I think it's also important for us to see that the presence of Christ is not just in the liturgy of the word and in the liturgy of the table as we worship on Sunday mornings. But rather, Christ is present in the church whenever believers gather together. Uh, many scholars, including uh, the Church of Scotland's William Barclay, point out that we must not confine our understanding of the presence of Christ strictly to the Eucharist on Sunday morning. And they emphasize that Christ is present when the community is gathered. Any meal, I think, shared with another becomes an opportunity for an awareness of the presence of Christ in our midst, especially as people share their lives together. I think about our uh, recent progressive dinner and how wonderful it is every year when we go to someone's home and six or eight of us are gathered around a table and we find out things about another person that we would never find out if we hadn't broken bread with them at that meal. And in that moment, Christ is present and we see Christ in the other 
and hopefully they see Christ in us as well. Every meal is an opportunity for us to remind ourselves of the presence of Christ in the breaking of the bread, a proclamation of that new covenant, that covenant that reminds us to love neighbor and to love God. Now I wonder, you know, how do we, how do you and I experience the miracle of the resurrected one in real life, in our present life together? How do we experience that? The miracle of Emmaus, I think, happens when we turn our hearts to him, when we're aware of him and the possibility of his presence, when we open our hands in prayer, when we open scripture and read it and meditate on it. When we listen intentionally with a friend, when we're present with someone who needs our presence, Christ in some way is present there. And certainly as we share a meal and we say grace before that meal, blessing that meal and that fellowship time together, Christ is present there. It's easy for us hearing this story to say, I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have been there to see Jesus break bread. It would be so easy to believe. But it was not for us to be born of that time and place. But rather, it is for us to be born of this time and this place. And so the question, I think, is how do we make Christ known How will we bring awareness of his presence into the lives of others? How will we share our brokenness with other people in a way that brings life and an awareness of the presence of the risen one? Each of us must answer those questions, I think, in our own way, and each of us will answer it in a different way. For as he makes himself known in the breaking of the bread, even today, we must make him known in offering ourselves to a broken world every day. Amen.